Well, good morning again, church family. I'm so glad you're in worship on this summer Sunday, and thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, or go to the Ingleside app and touch the notes button, and open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's going to be one of our primary texts in just a moment. And as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to offer just a warm, warm welcome to everybody in our contemporary service, as well as those of you who are joining on TV or joining on the live stream. I'm really glad that you're here this morning as well. Now, we're diverting a bit on our Sunday morning teaching from the book of Isaiah today, but I hope you're still reading a chapter a day. And if you're not in that journey, I hope that you'll text the word chapter to 22828, put in your email address, and you can join with hundreds of us as we make our way through this great Old Testament book over the weeks of the summer. We'll be coming back to it a bit later in the summer. Now, I want to ask you this morning as we begin, if you are familiar with the word Aphorism. Do you know what an aphorism is? An aphorism is a saying. It's sometimes described as a short, pithy, pungent saying that is easily remembered and maybe conveys an important truth that you want to be able to remember. And so today, some of you, I know, even if you don't know the word, you know aphorisms. Let me, uh, some are just part of our sort of cultural heritage. They're sort of old wise sayings like, you know this one, a bird in hand is worth what? Two in the bush. That's exactly right. And what does that aphorism or saying mean? It means an asset that you already possess is worth much more than an asset of twice the value, but that you don't actually have in hand yet. Some of our aphorisms, uh, they become little rhymes that we learn. I bet you know this one. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man... Yeah, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. What is that saying intended to teach us? It, it, it says, look, don't party all night. Don't party all night. And be diligent in your work. Get up in the morning and get about it. And if you don't party all night and get up early and get about it, good things are generally going to happen in your life. You know, across the years here at Ingleside, uh, we have developed and repeated a lot of different sayings, aphorisms that just shape our culture as a church. Like we have often said, people are down on what they're not up on. Have you ever heard that said? And what does it mean? It means that when you can communicate well, well, all of a sudden uh, we're able to see and understand and get behind, but if you communication's not there, well, sometimes we tend to be down on that. Another one of our sayings at Ingleside is excellence honors God. Excellence honors God and inspires people. It's really rooted in that Old Testament passage where David said, I will not offer to God 
that which costs me nothing. In other words, he was saying, I want to do more than the minimum. Whatever is required, I want to do that. And then some, I want to shoot toward excellence. Why? Because excellence honors God and it inspires other people. We've done that uh, for a long, long time here at Ingleside. Now, this morning, I want to give you a third aphorism. I want to give you a third Ingleside saying, and I want to ask you to test it with me. I want you to test the aphorism, test the saying. I want you to test it by the truth of Scripture. I want you to test it by the fruit that is being born. And then I want to invite you to make a commitment to make it happen in the days ahead. Now, the aphorism is actually the title of today's message. It's on the top of your outline. I think you can see it there. For a long, long time at Ingleside, we have said we are a multi-generational church. It means there's a place here for people of all ages and life stages. There's a place for everyone here. We are a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation. It means we intentionally lean toward, pitch our tent toward the coming generations. So now let's test that aphorism. When we test a truth or an aphorism, we need to do that with Scripture. So look on your outline and write it in. Scripture anticipates in multiple places, Old Testament and New, that healthy churches will typically include more than a single generation. Scripture just anticipates that healthy churches will include more than a single generation. Let me give you just one example of that, if I may, from 1 Timothy 5. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus, and look what he says. You can see the generations emerge here. He says, do not rebuke an older man, there's one, but encourage him as you would a father. And then he says, encourage younger men, there's another generation, as brothers, older women encourage as mothers, and younger women encourage as sisters in all purity. Similar words are found in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So, so let me just see a quick show of hands here. Uh, I'd like to ask all the older men in the room, raise your hand if you would. If you can hear me, raise your hand if you would. <laughs> Okay, great. I'm in that group. What about younger men? Can I see the hand of all the younger men in the room? Okay, I see that. What about all the older women? Raise your hand. Older women? Yeah, okay. Younger women? Can I see your hand? Yeah, some of you are lying, and there you go. <laughs> what you're really saying is, what's the cutoff line? Well, I was born at night, but not last night. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to draw that line. Well, yeah, at Ingleside, we a long time have had multiple generations, older, younger, sometimes three, four, five generations. Now, some of you are saying, well, isn't that just normal? And the answer is it should be, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes when churches are planted, they attract an awful lot of younger people. If you go to their gathering, 
it's almost all 20-somethings and 30-somethings, and that's not a bad thing. They're going to grow older, and when they do, the multiple generations will happen. But that church is not as rich spiritually, relationally, as a multi-generational church. You know how churches usually become single-generation churches? They don't pass the baton of faith to the next generation. So they just grow older and grayer, and there's nobody behind them. And then they get smaller and decline. So the scripture says it just assumes the goodness of a multi-generational church. I'm thankful we've been that for a long time. Second thing, write it in. Scripture also commands us, commands us to lean intentionally and purposefully toward the next generation. In other words, there is explicit teaching, I believe, in the Scripture that says, now here's what you're supposed to do. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 6. It's the passage you turned to a moment ago. I want to read it from the outline. And these are the words of Moses to the people of Israel just before they go into the promised land. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God. And then here, here are the generations that are to be taught. You, your son, your son's son. And you're to fear the Lord by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses is saying, now listen, you're about to be in a new situation. You're about to be in a new culture. You're about to be in a, a new environment. And there are a lot of situations in life where we begin a new chapter. And that new chapter is either fraught with opportunity or peril, sometimes both. And Moses says, so now listen, you families of Israel. When you go into the land, you be sure to obey the things that I am teaching you. That's the way you show the Lord that you love him and you fear him and you want to please him. Then look at verse 4. It begins, Hear, O Israel, sometimes called a Shema. It's a Jewish prayer. The word Shema is the imperative form of the word hear. It's the first word in the Hebrew Old Testament of this verse. In fact, let's just read verses 4 and 5 aloud, shall we? Let's read them aloud. Verses 4 and 5, it begins, Hear, O Israel, here in the worship center, everybody online on TV, in the contemporary room, let's read together. Here we go. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now years later when Jesus was asked about the great commandment, he quoted these verses. He said there's nothing more important than loving the living God with your whole being. And then notice verse 6, and these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. 
Now notice this. He says they're not just to be on the periphery of your life. They're not just to be external to you. He says, I want these words that I teach you to be in the depths of your being, written on your heart, connected to your spirit. Then look what he says. Once they're in your heart, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It's, it's a poetic way of saying all day, all the time, live a God-centered life and have God-centered speech while you're at home, while you're out and about, when you get up, when you go to bed, every time in between. Teach your children how to see and how to, to understand and how to love the Lord. And then it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes and you'll write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now there's a lot here, but I want you to get one big takeaway. Would you write it down? It's on your outline. This passage clearly gives responsibility for teaching and training the next generation. It is given primarily to parents, to parents, and to grandparents. And so I just want to say to every mom and dad here today and every grandmom and granddad, our primary assignment of all the other things the Lord has given us to do, our primary assignment is to love God with our whole heart because of his work of grace in our lives and then teach our children and our grandchildren to do so as well. Now, some of you are saying, well, I see it clearly parents, but I don't, I'm not necessarily seeing the grandparent thing, uh, Pastor. Well, I didn't put it on your outline, didn't have room, but you may want to write in the margin, Deuteronomy 4, 9. Deuteronomy 4, 9. A couple of chapters before where we are in Deuteronomy. And Moses is giving commands there. He says, take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So he's saying, look, as you grow older, don't forget all the things the Lord has done. And then Deuteronomy 4.9 says, make them known to your children and your children's children. And explicit command grandparents, that we are to invest not only in our children, but in our grandchildren spiritually. You know, I, can, may I just stop here and come, come up close to every grandparent who's listening today? You know, I believe the reason the scripture so underlines and underscores this is because the grandparenting stage of life is one where many grandparents have the life experience, the spiritual experience, the wisdom, the time, and the financial resources to invest significantly in the life of their grandchildren. And I want to say today, God does not want us to fritter away 
our grandparenting age. We don't need to fritter it away on lesser pursuits. But instead, by God's grace, he's calling us to invest in our grandchildren for their good and for his great glory. Well, that's what Deuteronomy 6 teaches. Is that the only place in the Bible that, let's test our aphorism that says we ought to be a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation. I want to take you to one other primary passage of scripture. It's Psalm 78. Look at it on your outline. It says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide the things the fathers have told us from their children. Here it is, but we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He established, verse 5 says, a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Then look at verse 6. It says that the reason we teach them is that the next generation might know those teachings, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. And then what do we hope will happen? What do we pray will happen? Look at it, verse 6. That they should set their hope in God. That they would know him and trust him too. That they should not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was not faithful to God. So write in three things at least this passage teaches us. It teaches us as we reach toward the next generation. We should teach them who God is and what he has done. There's not a person who's ever been born who comes to this world knowing who God is and what he's done and how they ought to respond to him. We all have to be taught that. So listen, moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads, the Bible says, teach them who God is, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that he's created them in his image as male and female. He intends us to grow to maturity, to get married, to have children, to build homes and families, and be involved in his church and live for his glory every day. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. He rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's coming again. You can trust him. He loves you. He'll never lead you astray. Live for the glory of Jesus all your life. Don't you see? Our teaching needs to be full of who God is and what he has done. And then, write it in, number two, we should teach them by our words and our example. Both are important. We need both, words and example. But without the example, the words won't be heard to teach them by our words and our example how to love God, how to trust God, and how to obey his commands. I'll never forget when my curls came home from preschool here at Ingleside, and they brought a little poem home, and we uh, put it on the 
refrigerator with a magnet, and it so impacted me then, and I've never forgotten it. And it spoke to my example as their daddy. Maybe you know the poem. It says, walk a little plainer, daddy, said a little boy so frail. I'm following in your footsteps, and I don't want to fail. Sometimes your steps are very plain. Sometimes they're hard to see. So walk a little plainer, daddy, for you are leading me. I know that once you walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I'd really like to know. For sometimes when I'm tempted and I don't know what to do, walk a little plainer, daddy, for I must follow you. And someday when I'm grown up, you are like I want to be. Then I'll have a little boy who will want to follow me. And I would want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for we must follow you. Hey, Daddies, I want to say as long as the Lord gives you breath, you show your kids by your example, with your words, Make it plain as day. Here's the way you love God. Here's the way you trust him. Here's the way you follow him. Now listen, none of us will do that perfectly. All of us will stumble. All of us will fail. We'll have to ask God's forgiveness. But when we do, we're even setting an example that says this is the way you get back on the track. Walk a little plainer, daddies. On this Sunday before Father's Day, I hope you hear the challenge. And then number three, write it in. Our goal, of course, is for our kids to become fully devoted followers of Christ. To love him, follow him, serve him, live for Jesus. Okay, so what is the aphorism? We are a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation. We have tested it by scripture. Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's all throughout the Bible that we ought to lean in to the next generation. We ought to plan, program, staff, invest, reach out to the coming generation. A place for everyone but boy, we pitch our tent toward younger families. So now let's test our approach, our biblical approach, by the fruit. I put an outline. I just want to give you two, uh, two data points. I put a chart on your outline today that shows even during COVID, October 2020, September 2021, we added 110 new members. Now, you can see the different age groups. Blue is 0 to 17, red is 18 to 29, green is 30 to 39. And then if you go on up the age groups, you see we're a multi-generational church and the people we're adding, but the lion's share, about 59% are less than 40. And so the fruit that seems to be being born is we're reaching the next generation. 
You can take the graph off the screen. Look at page four of your outline. Let me give you one more data point. And that is from October 1st, 2021 through May 31st, 2022, just a few days ago, only two-thirds through our church year, we've added 100 new members this year. 100 exactly, our membership office says. And 67 of them are 39 and younger, while 33 are 40 and older. Again, a healthy multi-generational church. But we are leaning toward and continue to reach the next generation. I think it makes our Heavenly Father smile. And so... We've tested the aphorism, the saying, a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation. We've tested it by scripture. We've tested it by the fruit that it's bearing. And then number four, I want to say this morning, what will not be new to those of you who've been involved in those next gen ministries. And if you've been involved at Ingleside for any time at all, it won't be new to you. But I just think I probably ought to say out loud on this Sunday. That as we reach toward the next generation, our responsibility is to take wise and proactive steps to ensure, to ensure that all our ministries are safe and secure. So that every boy, every girl, every young person, every minor who's involved in ministries at Ingleside are safe and secure. So for years, we have been proactive in establishing policies, putting in place best practices. And, and so let me just outline. If you volunteer with students, with children, with preschoolers at Ingleside, we're going to ask a lot of you. Let me just outline a few things. First thing is we're going to say you have to be a member. You just can't walk in from off the street and begin to serve uh, children. That means completing a four-hour membership class. We will ask you to complete a confidential volunteer application. We will ask you to have an introductory interview with a staff person. We will ask you to be oriented to our best practices. We will ask you to allow us to complete a national and a state criminal background check. We will ask you to review, sign, and commit to act by our child protection policy. It deals with physical, emotional, sexual abuse and neglect. It will remind you that every person who works with students at Ingleside with children is according to state law, a mandatory reporter of any abuse. And that report has to be made within 24 hours. And so do you see? If you serve at Ingleside with children, we're going to ask a lot of you. And for staff, we ask even more. There's all those checks, reference checks, and then onboarding ministry safe training for every staff person at Ingleside. And all that is an attempt to fulfill our God-given responsibility to make sure our ministry with the next generation honors God and is safe and secure. And if you can say amen to that, let me hear that right now. Amen. amen. I thank the Lord for his protection and his provision across many years, but we'll continue to be diligent by his grace. Well, how shall we wrap up today? 
There's one more thing. It's number five on your outline. I want to give you a few things to celebrate and to pray for in our next-gen ministries. Uh, I just want to walk through the bullets on that last page of your outline. Do you see them there? The first thing I want you to know is that this last week was just a fabulous, extreme week of Vacation Bible School here at Ingleside, and we averaged three people short of 700 students and leaders on this campus every day. Isn't that a fabulous thing? Oh, man. About, in round numbers, about 500 kids, about 200 leaders. And if you were in here at the beginning of every day, I mean, this whole lower bowl is just filled with kids and leaders. At the end of the day, all around the top section as the preschoolers came into the room, it was just a fabulous thing. Guys, I was standing out there sort of high-fiving everybody as they came in one day. I was at the bottom of the big stairs in the gathering area. I wish you could have been there with me. I am convinced our Heavenly Father was smiling from ear to ear. It was like a tidal wave of energy coming down those stairs. I mean, there were kids who were jumping and shouting and running and high-fiving and singing and chanting and following their teacher and doing everything. And then into this room, singing praise to the Lord, raising money for missions, learning the gospel. It was just fabulous. And I want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for every child. Thank you for every leader. Thank you for a church that's willing to pay for it and pray for it. I am thankful to the Lord. He's allowing us to touch the next generation. That'll occur all summer long. Uh, we've already prayed over the sessions tour. That occurs this coming week. The following week, our high school students will be on a mission trip to Cape Canaveral, June 26, Go Week for middle school and high school kids here locally, July 16 through 19, Kids Camp, 16 through 21, middle school mission trip, 16 through 23, high school mission trip, and then on August 7th, we'll kick it off again in full next-gen programming in the fall. And listen, look right up here. Some of you are going to need to step up and serve. You're going to need to be willing to do all the things we ask of you to keep it safe and secure and then serve for the glory of the Lord and for the good of the next generation. So how do we wrap up today? Here's how we wrap up. Let's be reminded together of what our Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, uh, they were bringing children to him, and the disciples didn't get it. The disciples said, no, don't do that. They rebuked them. Do you see that? And then in verse 14 of Mark 10, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Church family, can we just not agree today that for as long as our church exists, we're going to say what Jesus did, and we're going to say, let the little children come. Let the children come. You know, I just have to tell you, I hope we have dirty carpet forever. 
I hope we have cookies and Kool-Aid in every corner. I hope we have kids running through the building making more noise than they ought to with moms and dads trailing behind trying to teach them and show them and coach them and discipline them. Oh man, I pray that'll occur as long as this church exists for the glory of the Lord. Because you see, God really does intend for us to be a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation, all for his glory and honor. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in the lives of families and boys and girls. And I wanna pray this morning for all these uh, events and activities and programs, command your angels concerning us. Lord, make every venue safe and secure. Protect us from the evil one. Lord, I wanna pray too for moms and dads and grandparents today. Oh Lord, help us respond to the challenge from the word. And Lord, I pray that our church would continue to pass the gospel along, biblical teaching along, God-centered living along to the next generation with joy, with gladness, with confidence. Oh, Lord, we're thankful today for all you've taught us and all you've shown us, and we give you thanks and praise, all the glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.